1: Praise to the God who reigns above. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the Book of Numbers. God had preserved and blessed the children of Israel, giving them victory over the Amorite territories around. Balak, one of the Moabite kings, grew terrified at the thought of Israel going to war with his people. He sought the help of a soothsayer named Balaam to curse God's people. God told Balaam not to go with Balak and the Moabites, for the Israelites could not be cursed. Balaam told this to Balak, but Balak would not listen. Balak thought he could appease God by making seven altars and offering rams and goats. God spoke through Balaam even though he was a pagan soothsayer. God used him to pronounce two blessings on the people of Israel. Now we join Pastor Will in Numbers chapter 23, verse 25.
0: In this journey with Jesus, Israel is right on the edge of the Promised Land. They're right there on the camp in the valley that's right there, in the Jordan Valley. And right across the, the river is Jericho. They can see it from there. They're just waiting for the time when that first generation has all passed away and God gives them the go-ahead to go over the river. But Moab, who's sitting there just south of them, sees them there day after day and, and they just can't get out of their mind that you know Israel will leave them alone. Balak has hired Balaam to curse Israel. But of course, we saw last week that when Balaam comes to do the job, he finds God's loyalty to Israel unwavering. Doesn't matter how many offerings he brings, God's not gonna change his mind. And in communicating that to Balak through the first two blessings he gives, God gives the soothsayer a vision of just how blessed Israel is, of how God sees them, and, and that magnificent vision of, of uh, just how God saw them you was know, such a blessing last week but this obviously leaves Balak a little bit upset. In fact, it leaves him fuming. But the crazy thing is that he refuses to heed God's warning to leave Israel alone. We left off last week in chapter 23 where Balaam's last words are, behold, the people shall rise up as a great lion and lift up himself as a young lion. He shall not lie down until he eat the prey and drink the blood of the slain. In other words, back off, Balak. You're know, you not going to win this battle. So just back off. But Balak refuses to listen. In these repeated efforts to curse Israel, Balak teaches us a very important lesson. That when God reveals something to us, it's not a given that we'll believe. What God reveals doesn't matter if I'm refusing to trust him. Which means seeing isn't believing. You maybe hear people say that, well if God were to show up, I would believe. No, seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. As we continue our study tonight, we're going to see that in stark detail. So chapter 23, verse 25. So after Balaam finishes his second blessing, Balak said unto Balaam, enough, (laughs) neither curse him at all nor bless him at all, which means I don't want to hear another word. I don't want to hear anything good or bad. You're done. You know, you're done. He don't want to hear anything. But Balaam answered and said unto Balak, didn't I tell you saying, told not I you saying, all of the Lord speaks that I must do. I mean, didn't I tell you that? What is truly sad is that God is telling Balak time after time after time to listen up. But the king stubbornly shakes his head and refuses. God keeps saying, hey, Balak, pay attention. Balak ignores him. And you know, that's a good lesson for us to not be stubborn when God's trying to get our attention. The road that Balak goes down costs him his life and the lives of the people in his nation. God tried to rescue him from that fate so many times that Balak has no one to blame but himself. And what's interesting is that people read about these stories in the Old Testament. Because they'll pull out, for example, chapter 25, where God tells Israel to attack the Moabites and Midianites, and they totally wipe them out. And they go, what kind of a God would do that? And you're like how many warnings does he need to give? You know, I mean, it's the idea. Remember the whole story about, you may, you've heard it before, the story about the, where there's a, you know, a flood coming and a helicopter comes by and says, listen, man, you need to get out of here. You need to evacuate. And he's like, no. He said, I'm, I'm trusting God to take care of me. Of course, you know, the, the waters come in and now he's got to get up on the roof, you know, and, and then a boat comes by and he says, you need to get on, man. He goes, nope, I'm trusting the Lord to take care of me. God, God's a good God. He's going to take care of me. And then, of course, he drowns and dies. And he gets to heaven. And he goes, God, why didn't you take care of me? And he's like, I sent you a helicopter and a boat. Mom, what do you want? How is that God's fault? So the idea here is that God is giving Balak warning after warning after warning. Please, I don't want it to come to this. But if you poke the bear, the bear's going to bite. The idea here is don't do this. God says in his word in 2 Peter 3, 9, that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God's never to blame when someone is judged. They've chosen that. After Balaam gives his excuse and says, Didn't I, This is the terms, man. I told you. I can't do anything except what God tells me to do. So Balak's thinking, All right. You want to play hardball, buddy? We'll play hardball. So verse 27. Balak said unto Balaam, Come, I pray you. I will bring you unto another place, and peradventure it will please God that you may curse me, them, from there. You know... Balak stumberly attempts a third cursing. Now, the heathens back then believed if a God wasn't answering the way you liked, it's because you hadn't done enough to please him, to change his mind. So Balak figures the God of Israel is playing hardball here. And so he goes, you know what? We'll do this again. We will do this until we get it right. And and he shows he expects things to change. Because he says, peradventure it will please God that you may curse him from here, from this new place. The word there, peradventure, it means, it shows uncertainty, but it it means you expect things will go better. So the idea is, is that the word there to please God means it'll be right in his eyes. God will change his mind. It'll be okay with him now. He'll see it differently this time. Which is proof he wasn't listening to anything God said. Because what did God say? We looked at it last week where he says, listen... I have blessed Israel, I'm not going to curse them. That's not going to change. Oh yeah, I'll change your mind, God. He's not listening. So, you know, Balak, he thought Balaam was simply overwhelmed by Israel's numbers. But now he believes he's in a contest of wills with God Almighty himself. And he says, I'm going to beat God. So he takes Balaam to the highest place he could go. So verse 28, it says, And Balak brought Balaam unto the top of Peor, that looks toward Jeshimon now, another name for this place, Peor, is Baal Peor or Baal Peor. Now the reason it 's called Baal Peor is because there was a temple to Baal up there, and that 's where the Moabites would worship Baal so here he would look down and see Jeshemon, which the word Jeshemon is just the Hebrew word for wasteland. All the region of the Dead Sea to the south, that area of desert there that Israel's encamped in. From here, Balaam could see the entire army of Israel. And Balak is basically upping the ante. He's like, okay, God, you, you, apparently we've not impressed you enough. Well, how about this? I'm going to pay homage to you at the very spot we worship Baal. I'm going to pay more honor to you than to our own God. So, you know, I'm honoring you above the one we normally worship. So, man, you got to change your mind now. You know, you're not going to beat me in this. We will find a way to twist your arm. But, you know, just like Jacob found out when he tried to fight with God, Balak will learn that nobody wins when you put on the spandex and go up against God. Once you step into the octagon with Jesus, you're going to get pinned. It's just how it works out. You can't outlast him. You can't bribe him. You can't trick him. Now, Balaam thinks he could still get paid. So it says, Balaam said unto Balak, okay, build me here seven altars and prepare me here seven bullocks and seven rams, the same thing they did every other time. And Balak did as Balaam had said, and he offered a bullock and a ram on every altar. Now, Balaam knows that he's not gonna get paid by doing this the way that it, it seems like it's going to work out. So he doesn't even go away to look for a sign to see if he can curse Israel, if God's changed his mind. He already knows God's entered that. So chapter 24, verse one, and when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he went not as at other times to seek for enchantments, but he set his face toward the wilderness. He would go away. Remember he would go away and try to look for some sign in nature to know that God had changed his mind. Well. He doesn't even go this time to seek for enchantments. The word there, a phrase, it means to meet or encounter something that gives him permission to curse. So Balaam, all this time, had been trying to kind of get God to meet him in the middle. Some way he could get paid, but that's never going to happen. So Balaam, he doesn't even go away this time. He just says, I'm going to wait here until God does his thing. And so he looks towards the wilderness where Israel is and just waits for God to do his thing. In verse 2, God does. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and he saw Israel abiding in his tents according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. God, just like that first time when he gave him a vision of how blessed Israel was by showing him all the peoples there laid out in their tents, God gives Balaam a vision again of how he saw his people. And the Spirit of God comes upon this pagan soothsayer. Now you might be saying, How is that possible? I pray God all the time to do something supernatural in my life. You know, I pray for God to move by his Spirit and power in my life. In a doesn't happen. And this pagan soothsayer has this experience. How is that possible? He's not even a believer. Well, I think there's a really important lesson here for us. Supernatural events and God pleasing results are never proof that a man or woman is right with God. Never. I have frequently heard people tell me and say, well, man, I know, I know you're in the will of God, Pastor Will, because God's just blessing your church. And it's like, that's dangerous. That's dangerous thinking, because we can look out and see God's blessing, and that doesn't necessarily mean I'm doing my job. That's simply just because God loves his people, and he loves to bless his people. You read throughout all history. How many times do we see in the scriptures where there were men who were flawed, and men who didn't always do the right thing, and yet God still took care of his people? Time and time and time and time and time again. Why? Because he loves them, and he wants to bless them, and he's not going to let one man or one woman get in the way of that. That means that it's possible to get caught up in being used by God without being impacted personally by the God who's using you. And that is a danger to anyone who serves. While some false teachers are simply charlatans out to make a buck, the Bible is clear that many have deceived themselves just like Balaam had. They've actually tricked themselves. Maybe you've considered this. You hear this story about the pastor or the missionary or the evangelist, you know, or women's ministry leader or whatever who falls, Right? And you think, how could they do that? And then it comes out, they've been having an affair for all these years, or it comes out, they've been laundering money for all these years, and you go, how is that possible? All the things they said were true and biblical. All the things they did were such a blessing to me. And obviously, it was a blessing to so many other people because their ministry was huge. How is that possible that God could still do that? Again, it's the idea here is you can be in that place where you have deceived yourself. It's fascinating when you, they've sat down and talked to some of these individuals and they've said, you know, what in the world were you thinking? And they will say, I had insulated myself from all critique. I just thought that God was using me and I was, I was above all that stuff. Like as long as he was pleased with me and things were going well, everything else I was doing was okay. That is scary, scary ground to be on. The Bible talks about the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. In other words, that's what helps you make good decisions. The day you think you've arrived and you don't need to consider the decisions you're making on a regular basis is the day that you have stopped fearing God. And it's the day that you started down a path that isn't wisdom. It's a path of foolishness. In this case, with Balaam, he is self-deceived. Tune over to Jude, verse three. It's the very last book before Revelation. Little teeny tiny postcard. Here's Jude. This guy's a great guy. He's he's an encourager. He's not a doomsday guy. He's not somebody who's you know a hellfire brimstone preacher. He was the Lord's half brother and part of one of the of the children of Joseph and Mary after they had Jesus. And later on, he became a powerful individual in the church that God used mightily. And his heart was just to encourage Christians. And so in verse 3 of his letter, he says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. In other words, he just wanted to write us, write to them about the, the awesome salvation we have in Christ. He says, but it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Why? Why? That We need to hold on to the truth. Why is he writing about that? Verse 4. For there are certain men who have crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. They're ungodly men, turning the grace of our God, King James says, into lasciviousness. That's a good word. It basically, the idea is just immorality, the idea of no restraint, that you can do whatever you want. Also denying our only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they were denying the Lordship of Christ, this idea that he's in charge and he gives us commands and we need to obey them. He says, there are false teachers who have crept in that you don't even realize it, and they are teaching things that aren't true. They are well-meaning, but they've deceived themselves. And he goes on to explain that false teachers, they existed in the early church and they still exist today. So how do you identify them? Well, Jude's gonna tell us. They're just like Balaam. Look down to verse 11. He says this, he says more things, but I wanna focus in on the Balaam aspect. He says in verse 11, woe unto them. For they have gone in the way of Cain. They're just like Cain, Abel's brother. And they ran greedily after the error of Balaam. The error means the bad teaching of Balaam. Why did he give bad teaching? For reward. He got greedy and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. In other words, remember Korah, we studied them in Numbers. They wanted more. They wanted power. So these guys, they're after something that's not biblical. You know, they're either after recognition or power, or greedy gain. He says in verse 12, they don't come walking up and go, hi, I want to be in charge, and I just like telling people that I'm in charge. Make me your pastor. That's not what happens. He explains what happens. These are spots in your King James's feasts of charity, but that of course references their love feasts. Those were the big potlucks they had before they celebrated the communion. These are spots. They're there. They're right in your midst in those special moments when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. They're right there alongside you and they don't think there's anything wrong with what they're doing. But in reality, he says, they're clouds without water, carried about by the winds. They're trees whose fruit withers without fruit. Twice dead, plucked up by the roots. They're raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. They're like wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And guess what, Jude says, Enoch preached about these guys. Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. There's a lot of uses of ungodly. (laughs) The point he's making is they're in your midst, but the content of their teaching is ungodly, and the conduct of their lives is ungodly. That's how you recognize someone that's a false teacher. They are among us, they are clearly not born again by the content of their teaching and by the conduct of their lives. He goes on and explains verse sixteen, these are murmurers, complainers walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaks great swelling words, having men's persons and admiration because of advantage they want to leg up. But beloved. Remember you the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who would walk after their own ungodly lusts. These are those who separate themselves. They are sensual and they do not have the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, meekness, kindness, all the things that we look at and you see in that list. So how do you recognize a false teacher? You can't look at it and you can't say, well, man, I mean, look at the big ministry they have. You can't look at that. Oh, look at the impact they're having in the world. You can't look at that. You have to look at the conduct of their lives and the content of their teaching. That's what you have to look at. That's the only way you'll identify them. Because here's the truth, guys. They don't come with a pitchfork and the devil's tail or whatever. They don't come like that. They don't walk in with a false prophet, you know, name tag on. They come up to you and they say, hey, the Lord sent me here. They don't come up to you and say, I'm a deceiver. And here's why. Many of them are deceived themselves. So they don't even realize it. That's why it says that Enoch says the Lord's going to return and he's going to preach, you know, because they need to repent. The idea here is that they have lost the plot at some point. They have substituted something else for a relationship with Christ, and yet their apparent spirituality or their charisma or their giftedness or whatever it might be has caused them to rise to the top. You might be wondering, how could someone who's been used by God fall into something like that? How how can they be that close to Jesus and not know him? Jesus in Matthew 7, he said, there'll be many who will cast out demons in my name and do signs and wonders, do all these things. And yet he'll say to them in the day of judgment, I never even knew you. We never had a relationship. You say, how is that possible? Well, we read about it in our scripture reading, where it talks about there be perilous times, where it says men shall be lovers of themselves. There is a seduction to having influence. A big seduction to having influence. Look over at Second Peter chapter 2. Peter also talking about false teachers. And this whole chapter, he references Balaam. And he mentions him here in verse 15. Referring to these false teachers in verse 15, he says that they have forsaken the right way. And they are gone astray following the same path of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Now, he was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. He was crazy. He was so consumed by that seduction of wealth that that he, he didn't even realize that God was right there in front of him. And so God spoke to him through the donkey. And yet, These are wells without water. The same description Jude gives. Clouds that are carried with a tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. Why? For when they speak these great swelling words of vanity, of emptiness, they allure. They draw people in through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness. Those that were clean have escaped from them who live in error. In other words, those who are clean, they can be deceived by these guys, but they have to escape out of that. So these guys are going to be not just, you know, putting up the sign that says First False Prophets Church of Orlando. You know, it's not going to be Calvary Chapel False Prophet, you know. They're going to put up a sign that looks like everybody else. Now, what's the difference? Verse 19. While they promise those people liberty who come to them, they themselves are the servants of corruption. They're in bondage themselves. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment that was delivered unto them. Do you know what it's going to be like for Balaam to stand before the Lord someday, having had a greater experience of of revelation from God than you and I probably will ever have? And yet he rejects it? Can you imagine that? But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog has turned to his own vomit again. And the sow that was washed went right back to her wallowing in the mire. It's not that they don't know the truth or never heard the truth. It's at some point God showed them truth, gave it to them. They saw it clearly. And the allure of other things drew them away from it. And eventually their conscience became so hard that they didn't even remember it anymore. That's where Balaam is at. That's where Balak is at. And see, guys, that's why seeing isn't believing. I hear people say all the time, they say, you know, well, if God, you know, were just write it in the sky, then I would believe. No, actually, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You would find a reason not to as well. See, seeing isn't believing. Believing is when you start seeing. Now, Balaam was exposed to wonderful truth. And it's only going to become even more beautiful in the next two blessings he pronounces upon Israel. But like Peter said, he returned to his vomit instead of to the Lord. So what's the lesson for us? Listen, if God is using you, don't be seduced by the influence, the fame, or the riches that can come with it sometimes. Now, you might be saying, well, that's fine. I don't have to worry about that. Ain't no riches or fame or influence coming my way. But you'd be surprised you'd be surprised at how much someone fights over the little tiny kingdom they've built. Even the smallest amount of influence, you begin to take it away and someone gets really mad. Wherever you're at and however you're serving, be wary of that seduction. Always stay a servant. Always stay in the word. Always stay close to Jesus.
1: God had told Balaam not to go with the Moabites but Balaam desired a big payday over knowing and obeying God's word. Likewise, Balak sought to curse the children of Israel over and over again, but his attempts were futile because God only blesses his people. Both the selfishness of Balak and Balaam caused them to miss a great opportunity to draw near to God and see why the Israelites were so blessed by being in a relationship with God. Don't follow after selfish gain, vain wealth, or anything the world has to offer. These things are all fleeting. To know God, the great creator of the universe, the one that knows all and sees all and judges accordingly, to see his ways, this is what we were created for. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at four zero seven five two three zero eight zero zero during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.